When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In a tiny apartment in Southern California, two college dropouts teamed up to start a watch brand that broke all the rules. With clean, innovative designs, unexpected colors, and unbeatable value, Movement became the fastest-growing watch brand in the world. Every bold, modern design is dreamed up at Movement's California headquarters. And now, everything is on sale for their ninth birthday celebration. You can save big with 25% discounts on watches, jewelry, sunnies, blue light eyewear, and more lifestyle essentials. And for the first time this year, Movement's best-selling, innovatively-made ceramic watches are on sale, too. Elevate your own look or give someone an amazing gift that won't break the bank. But looks like it did. There's never been a better time to join the movement. Get the best prices of the year with Movement's site-wide 25% off anniversary sale. And enjoy free shipping, free returns, and a two-year guarantee on everything they make. Just go to MVMT.com. That's MVMT.com. Welcome back into Counterattack here in this Friday afternoon. It was a wild one in October. 4-4, you heard some of the goals there. Uh, Merseyside Derby tomorrow, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on 157. Liverpool against Everton. Coverage starts at noon uh, on the channel. No better man to break it down for us from the Blue Room. Matt Jones, our good friend, joins us. Matt, what's happening? Tony and Dunny, how are you? Yeah, good to see you, lads. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, starting to get a little bit nervous for tomorrow after hearing that commentary <laughs> from the game back in uh, October there, I've got to say. <laughs> Well, you'll have something to write about if it ends up like that as well. I'm going to ask you the same question Andrew Williams asked you. I'm going to steal the question. I'm going to go off script. How are you feeling about tomorrow? To be honest, it's it's not the same not going. I think that, that's one thing to say. You know, I've, I've been going to the Anfield Derby for about 15 years now. Um, obviously, I haven't seen Everton win in that time. But I think that the night before, typically, you do get those nerves. You start making plans with your friends and your family about what you're going to do before the game. Um, and I think that one of the worst things about going to Anfield as an Everton fan is not seeing the team lose. It's the, you know because you come accustomed to that. It's having to see all your red mates in the pub afterwards, or speaking to your <laughs> red family uh, in town afterwards, and, and doing all those sorts of things. You know, I remember vividly after the infamous, from an Everton point of view, uh, Divock Origi, Jordan Pickford game, having a, agreed to meet my granddad and my uncle who were Liverpool season ticket holders in one of the pubs outside Anfield after the game before we all headed off home. And it was hell on earth. Um, it was oh, it was boy. hell on earth. They were showing the goal on replay over and over again. <laughs> all the Reds were cheering. I was just keeping my head down. But um, I suppose when you when you take all that out of it, you can just. 
be a little bit more neutral, take a bit of a step back from the emotion of it all and maybe appreciate it as a, as a football match rather than, than an occasion, which it typically is for the City. So, Matt, you're, you're, you're the perfect guy to talk to then about this because it kind of paint the picture. What, what does fandom look like over in, in England when the Merseyside Derby starts? Because it, it literally feels like it, it can split the city. It can split families apart. Right, wrong, indifferent, good banter, bad banter. Um, out from the States, obviously, it's a huge rivalry. It's, it's a huge derby. But when you're in Liverpool proper, what, what does it feel like? What does it look like for some of these families? I think it's in recent years, if we're being honest, it's got a lot more toxic. And I think that's just the way football mm. is going at the moment in regards to, you know, the social media age. And unfortunately, we're seeing stuff like that emerge at the moment with some of the abuse the footballers are getting. And it's horrific. And, and football's becoming a lot more tribal. But for, for me personally, and the circles I go in, it's it's just typical, I imagine, with, with any supporter that's listening to this from any corner of the world about about their, their, their game, you know, you get a bit touchy with each other in the days building up to it during the game, you know, you disagree on things, but but afterwards it's it's all fine. But I, I think that the thing that's often spoke about with the Merseyside derby is that it's the, the friendly derby, and maybe that's that's not necessarily the case anymore, but I think probably more in Liverpool than any other region of the country, you do get families that are mixed you know I've got like I said there I've got my granddad and, and my uncle and you know my mum and my sister are both Liverpool fans and me and my dad are Everton fans so you can imagine what it was like in, in our house wow. growing up uh, when we That's all lived awesome. together on, on, on Derby Day and um, so, so you do get those splits in the families maybe in, whereas in somewhere like Manchester um, or you know North London you might not necessarily get that um, but it's yeah I, th- I think I think in general the people in Liverpool we all stand for similar things we've got similar views on how people should behave, um, how you should act, and how you want your football to be played. So, uh, apart from ninety minutes uh, every, you know, two times every season, or even three times every season, because we played them a lot in the cup recently, uh, those values t- uh, tend to, to stand true. So, Matt, I said to Dunny a couple days ago, we were talking about Southampton, and I, and I likened Everton season. I, I'm just wondering if you think it's a fair assessment. I said between Southampton and Everton. They've been the two biggest uh, roller coaster of emotions for their fans this year, right? Is, is that a fair? I know there's tactical assessments, but I'm looking at where those two teams have bounced around. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, perhaps, yeah. I think I think you're probably right there. It's from Everton's point of view. I think if, if you take away the context of the season and just strip back where they are at the moment, if you'd said to me at the start of the season that they'd be in seventh place. And they've got the chances to go level with Liverpool with a win in the Merseyside derby. And, you know, it within touching distance of the top four, I would have been delighted with that. But I think mm-hmm. what we've all come to realise over the last few months is that this isn't a normal Premier League season. And the frustration for me, and it's not frustration that Everton should be necessarily higher in the league, because I think in the main, the teams above Everton um, are, are better than them. You know, maybe you could say West Ham, they're obviously having a great season by, you know, no disrespect to them, but play of a player, maybe Everton should be higher up than them in the table this year. But I think the frustrating thing from Everton's point of view is that in, you know, since the turn of the year, they've just let it slip a little bit at, at home. You know, they, they've lost to West Ham 1-0 in a, a pretty dour game. They got even worse again in the next home game against Newcastle and lost that 2-0. And then on Sunday against Fulham, they lost 2-0. And uh, being honest, lads, it was probably... I've seen some bad Everton performances down the years, but that one ranks right up there in terms of how, how poor they were that day. And I think that that's what's frustrating. It's not that we are where we are on the table. It's the, the opportunities have been there for Everton to really push on this year 
and cement themselves, not, not, not cement themselves, but be in the top four going into this game and be in an FA Cup quarterfinal against Manchester City, feeling really good about themselves. And maybe since the turn of the year, and it's due to a, a number of different factors, which, which I'm sure we'll get into, but they've just they've not quite been ruthless enough. Um, and I think Carlo Ancelotti is doing well and changing the mentality around the football club and, and making Everton better when it comes to these sorts of occasions. But every now and then, when you've got a team like Newcastle coming to Goodison, who've lost the last 10, or a team like Fulham coming to Goodison, who have won two games out of 22 all season, Everton still feel like that team you want to play. And that's, that's something that's been present for a long time at this football club. It's slowly going away. But it is still there. And I think that's going to be the manager's biggest task going forward. So to get rid of that, you know, Everton effectively always being that, that side you want to play. The, the slump busters of the Premier League, if you will. Matt, I wish uh, Everton would have performed like that in the 95th minute against Manchester United a few weeks ago uh, <laughs> instead of Dominic Calvert-Lewin doing what he did. Uh, yeah. But I digress. Again, we're speaking with Matt Jones, the Blue Room. Follow him on Twitter at Matt J Football. So, Matt, obviously the Merseyside Derby um, has its own buildup but it feels like this one's a little bit different because I am I feel like I'm also wanting to talk about the context of the last time and Pickford versus Virgil van Dijk and Richarlison on Thiago. So take all the hubbub around that result and what happened over the course of that 90 minutes. How potentially could that game a long time ago play into or have some type of role in a match like this just considering kind of the vitriol um, because of injuries to massive players that happen, um, could we see, in a way, any of that leak over into the match uh, this weekend? Potentially, because the Merseyside derby, you know, while there's been managers and, and players that have gone out the door, it is just something about this fixture that brings it out of, of the players. You know, there's never been, there's no Premier League fixture that's had more red cards than this, you know, any. And I think that just sums up the, you know, typically the passion of the players and the, and the fans when supporters are in there. But even when you took fans away back in you know, October, there, there was still a bit of that. But I think that the, the important thing to, to stress around this is that I think some of the reporting I, I was really disappointed with after that game and, and the way that it's been built up um, and sort of turned into a bit of a frenzy as it's not been nice to see. Um, listen, it was a horrendous tackle from Jordan Pickford. Should have got a red card. Should have been a penalty. I've absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, but we also had people of prominent channels over here saying he should be banned for the length of Virgil van Dijk's injury, saying he should be um, saying he should be arrested for assault. And I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, voices on Twitter that get, you know, shared that it's, you know, right. look, look at this idiot. We're talking about prominent figures on high-profile sports channels over here. Yeah. I think it, it, I understand why it got so much focus because it's van Dijk, who is the best centre-back in the world, and it's Jordan Pickford, who is England's number one goalkeeper. The two high-profile players, high-profile incidents, high-profile fixture. There's going to be discussion around it. But I just thought some of the chat was quite irresponsible. And we got to a position where Jordan Pickford was receiving death threats, had to hire personal security because his, his wife had been abused on Instagram and stuff like that. And it just, it just went a little bit too far. But in regards to the game tomorrow, when it comes to Pickford, I don't even know if he's going to play. Um, that, that's, that's, that's one thing, because Carlo Angelotti has rotated the goalkeepers a lot this season before Jordan's injury recently. Pickford came back in on Wednesday against Manchester City and should have done a lot better with the third goal that night. And I think at this point, it's, um, there's not much really to choose between him and Robin Olsen. Obviously, the Richarlison challenge again, terrible tackle, you know, rightly sent off, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's hard to see. You know, I think Jürgen Klopp today said that neither if Everton had played Liverpool soon after, it might have been a bit more 
vitriolic and there might have been, you know, some revenge tackles or something like that. But but maybe enough enough time has passed for this this to all have calmed down and perhaps that it's going to be an, an empty Anfield. There's not going to be that sort of aggression and, and hostility from the Liverpool fan base that you'd expect if, you know, you, well, you could imagine the grief that Pickford and Macharson would get yeah. if this, this game was played in front of a full-on field. So perhaps enough time has subsided for it to, to all die down. And, you know, the last thing I want to be speaking about again is, is red cards or, or, or bad injuries and stuff like that. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's become very tiresome over the last few months, we've got to say. As you mentioned, a record number of red cards, 22 total in this uh, Derby uh, fixture. So let's talk about some, some guys here. Calvert-Lewin looks like uh, he's fit. Uh, where is Alan? Uh, where is Yerry Mina with that, I think, was a calf injury uh, that he yeah. has as well? Where, where are they all fitness-wise right now? Yeah, so I'll go through them all. Yerry Mina is going to be out for about three to four weeks, and that is a blow for everything because I yeah. think – uh, in 2021, he's probably been the most consistent defender, uh, consistent centre-back at, at the football club. So that means it's going to have to be a bit of a, a, a rejig there. Uh, Alan, it looks like he's going to play, um, although he's not played since December, which is obviously a bit of a worry, and to put him in this fixture. And I, th- I think he, he had an injury earlier in the season and came back, and it, he's, you know, he's only been at the, at the club for a few months, but he, he strikes as one of those players that needs a few games to get back up into, into rhythm and to full throttle. So that might be a risk. Um, and Don will definitely play. Um, you, you got the sense from, from Angelotti and what he's been saying this week that if Everton had had Liverpool on Wednesday, then he probably would have got him on the pitch somehow, some way. But because it was Manchester City, because of the way they're playing, and because Everton had a Merseyside derby on, on Saturday, I think he just held him back with, with that in mind. So, you know, you're looking at it and you say, you know, one negative with, with Yeri not being available. But if Alan comes in and plays well, if Dominic Carvert-Lewin comes in, then that's... That's two key pieces in this Everton side. And I think Carvalhoon in particular is, is Everton's route to a, a win in this game if, if, if they are going to win the match. You know, you look at Liverpool's defensive setup, and, you know, Kabak had a poor debut against Leicester, played better in midweek. Henderson is a bit of a makeshift centre-back. And, and Dom, after a bit of a tough spell over Christmas, hit form again just before he, he got that niggling injury. And, you know, he, he offers such a, a multi-dimensional threat. And, I think that's going to be really difficult for, for any centre-back in the league to handle this year. For a lad making his first appearance in a Merseyside derby and a central midfielder doing a job at centre-back, um, I think he could give those Liverpool players a, a really torrid afternoon if Everton can get the ball to him in, in the right positions, of course. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I was telling Tony with Jordan Henderson, being a former centre-back, he drifts a lot. He re- He plays the position like a defensive midfielder, even though he tries to hold the line. But he always lets someone drift off his shoulder, never touch tight. Again, we're talking to, to Matt Jones, the Blue Room. Follow him on Twitter at Matt J Football. So uh, paint the picture for us in your eyes. First 15 minutes, first 30 minutes of a match uh, in both halves. If Everton's playing well, they look like what to you? I think, I don't know if you guys would have seen this game, but when they played against Leeds away quite recently, it was about three weeks ago. And I think the first half performance they put in that day is probably the best they've played all season. And I was really scared about that game going into it because we all know what Leeds are like. And I think Everton have been very susceptible to sides that are energetic and get amongst them this season. But they sat quite deep. They defended really well. And when they got the ball, they used it and they were positive with it and they were calm in possession and they got a lot of counterattacks through that. And they were good from set pieces. And I think Everton are going to go to Anfield tomorrow and the game plan is going to be to sit deep and soak up pressure and try and hit Dom to counter-attack, to win knock-ons to, to players like Richarlison or, or James. 
and to to build from there. And I think that's that's where they've been the best this season. They beat Chelsea doing that. They beat Arsenal doing that. They went to Leicester and won doing that. And they went to Leeds and Wolves and a few other sides and, and, and have won doing that. And I, I think that's why the, the home form's been so good this season. Uh, sorry, the away form's been so good this season. We're talking about a team now that hasn't lost away from home in the Premier League since the 1st of November. And that, that is that is an excellent record for a team that has traditionally struggled away from home uh, in the Premier League years. And I know it's a different season this year, but I think playing away from home suits them. I think they look to soak up pressure. And I think the energy that the players like Alan Decore um, bring to the side means that if Everton can get through those 15, 30 minutes, like you said, Liverpool start getting a little bit frustrated, maybe look to the bench and they haven't got too many options because of the injuries they have. But I think that's where, where Everton can start to get a sniff of getting a result or maybe even a win in this game. Hey, hey Matt, does, uh, does Hamas divide opinion um, in in Liverpool in, in that in that area as much as we get a divided opinion from English pundits here in, in the U.S.? I mean, it, Daniel will tell you, it blows my mind from the first week. Actually, before he came here, when everyone, you know, we'd hear, and look, Hamas can't compete in the Premier League. And I'm thinking to myself, are you joking? Really? And then you watch him the first four games of the season, and he's so silky smooth, but he still does divide opinion. Do, do, do you get the same thing there that, that I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture that we get here? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of um, stereotypes that come with South American footballers, isn't there? And there was an incident after Everton played Burnley, actually, and, and Hamez was on a, a bit of a... Well, he wasn't being very productive in terms of goals and assists. And after that game, we we heard all the you know the typical stereotypes of him not really fancying it, being too cold for him. And this was literally because before kickoff, the broadcaster showed a picture of him rubbing his hands together, and he had gloves on. And it was sort of like you know an assumption that was made from from, from that point of view. But uh, from an Everton point of view, uh, uh, you know, I, I think you'll struggle to find anyone Tony that doesn't love the, the bones of the lad because, in terms of pure talent and um, vision. The ability to conjure something out of nothing. Everton have another player like him, you know, in in the Premier League. You know, when we first signed him in the, those first four weeks, we were talking about naturally talented footballers that play for this football club. And you know, some people were even going back to Alan Ball and saying he's probably the most naturally gifted footballer Everton have had since you know since Alan Ball was at the football club, who of course won the the World Cup in 1966 and left Everton <laughs> in, in 1971. Um, but when he's on the pitch and when he's fit, he, he's, a, he's a game changer. He, he's, a, he's a true game changer. And I don't really buy into this this idea that he's a player that's lazy and, and can buy out of, of things sometimes. I think he tries to defend, but he's just he's just not very good at it. You know, it, it'd be like it'd be like putting a centre back up front and saying, "Go and yeah. hold the ball up. Yeah, go and hold good, the go, go and hold the ball up and run the channels and get on the end of crosses." You know, it's just it's just not not it not his forte. And and bless him, he does try and swing a leg out at times. And he does try and track people, but it's just he's just not very good at it. But I think. We've had a few discussions this week on some of our shows about whether we think he, he should be involved because I think one thing you need against Liverpool is, is energy. And even if you're carrying one player in that sense, then, then it could cost you. But hmm. I'm very much of the view that Everton brought this lad to the football club to be influential in games like this and help decide games like this. And, and even though he's not been on top form in recent weeks, he scored a wonderful goal against Leicester um, to, to put Everton one up in that game. And he got a, a wonderful equaliser at Old Trafford. I'm sorry to bring up uh, Dunny. Oh, yeah. uh, to, no, to no, you can, it, anytime you want. You bring it up again <laughs> if you want. Yeah, oh. to, yeah uh, to make it 2-2 in that game. So he's, he's still contributing, still being productive. And I just think it would be a waste for Everton to have this 
you know, world-class talent on the books and to leave him on the bench for, for a match as, as big as this. I think you've got to back your most talented player to produce something that could potentially get you a result. Hey, Matt, a, a little bit off the, the beaten path, but has there been any talk about Everton's perspective on the international window with this conversation about quarantine and the potential of, you know, whether we're talking about Portuguese, we're talking about South American, what have you, um, any any clarity about what this looks like for Everton players? No, I think there's, there's been a few reports today, obviously, about the what could potentially happen over the, the next few weeks in regards to that. Um, but I don't think the club have got an official position on it. You know, okay. me, well, I, want, well, I want to get down a rabbit hole with this. I think it's ridiculous myself that this thing is, you know, these things are even going ahead. It's it's not safe. The logistics of it all are, are wild, in, in my opinion. But from, from Everton's point of view, this this is something that actually hindered them earlier in the season and. You know, the game after the Merseyside, sorry, the, the Merseyside derby earlier in the season was the first game after an international break. And Alan came back from that with a knock. Richarlison wasn't fully fit for, the, for that game either. Um, Hamez, I think, had got off a plane on Thursday night and played Saturday lunchtime. So, it, 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 you know, as, as much as we all love seeing these you know, Brazilian and Colombian internationals strutting the stuff for Everton and bringing that... You know, that flair and that energy and that aggression to, to the play. Um, it's not nice when they have to go away on, on international duty. And, you know, that, that's something the club will, will no doubt have make plans for in the future and, and try and deal with a little bit better. But um, in regards to what's going on in, in the future, I don't think Everton have got a, an official stance on it yet, but I'm sure the manager will be asking about it in a press conference uh, in the next few weeks or so. Yeah, something for Ancelotti and the club to manage. All, all across Europe, they're doing this right now. So, uh, Matt, again, uh, appreciate the time. Derby kicks off our coverage noon tomorrow, 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Liverpool against Everton. It'll be a phone on Matt. Uh, we'll catch up with you soon again. Thanks so much for the time and enjoy it tomorrow. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Pleasure. Pleasure, lads. Thanks very much for having me. There you have it, Matt Jones. At Matt J. Football is where you can find him on Twitter. Going to head to a break. When we come back, there's another Derby Dunny. It's happening with my team in Serie A. We'll talk about that after the break. Stay with us. Not running your business on NetSuite is like trying to sink a putt with a cap pulled over your eyes. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one cloud financial system, giving you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, budgeting, and more all in one place. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 31,000 businesses already use NetSuite. This summer, NetSuite has a special financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash go netsuite.com slash go sports social podcast network hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.